I do want to make a, an announcement. As you all know, we're not having service tonight because there may be a little bit of snow coming in the stream code. A little bit chilly in here today. And if you come around the church doing ministry, please do not shut any of the doors that we got open. We've got three units that is down, and uh, we're trying to keep things from freezing by overpowering all the other uh, uh, the heaters that we have. Um, the big unit that's in Zach's room, or the I say Zach's room, the youth room, it's down, and we have to try to keep our sprinkler systems from freezing, and we have to keep those doors open. Our nursery unit went down, our bathroom units and the hallways went down, and we've had people look into them. And, uh, one of them's brand new under warranty, and it's down, and it's a crazy thing, and here it is, you know, going to be below zero, and we got three big units down. So we got to keep some of the doors open to try to keep enough heat in the building to keep our stuff from freezing. So if you come in, please don't shut any doors that we got open. And if you're a little bit cold today, warm up through the power of the Holy Ghost. Can I have an amen? Warm up in the house of faith. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, if you're going to cuddle with someone, make sure it's your husband or your wife, okay? Praise the name of the Lord. We're going to get right into the word of the Lord again. Revelations 12 and 11, and they, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, they loved not their lives unto death. You know, while we live in such a confused, chaotic, warped, and divided world, no doubt about it, we're living where homes are divided, race is divided, politicians are divided, and you know, as a whole, our nation is divided. We've never been so divided since the Civil War. We are living in such a chaotic world where it seems like that everything has lost its place. It seems that we've lost our equilibrium as a, as a nation, and everything is unsettled, chaotic, and we're living in a daze. And there seems to be no reality of right and wrong, of black and white, and everything uh, seems to be tainted. And there seems to be a loss of truth, a loss of identity among so many people within our world. Many don't even know the definition of a woman anymore. Many don't even know their gender, or worse yet, they don't know in reality of who or what they even are. They don't even know what to classify them themselves. As we see these things as the people of God, so much of the time we ask the question, how do we reach this generation? <clears throat> As a matter of fact, if we'll all be honest, the church world as a whole does not know how to reach or to minister to this generation today. Matter of fact, sometimes we're overwhelmed. How in the world do we ever get them saved? The age is so confused that it seems like that there's no hope of breaking in and bringing things back into reality. There seems to be a lostness of how to reap the harvest and how to penetrate the hearts of people for the cause of the kingdom of God and for, and for the cause of God himself. And as I thought about this, not only is the world confused, but in many cases, the church world is confused as well. There seems to be a void of victory in so many people's lives that they are confused, distraught, and overwhelmed by life's perplexities to the point that many of them given up on, they're given up on hope of ever seeing their loved ones saved or at least come to a place of normalcy. However, there's one thing for certain. Let me say it very loud and let me say it very clear. Nothing changes unless we as the people of God have the belief that it can and that it will. I believe that not only can things change, they're going to change. They will change in the name of Jesus Christ. I will settle for nothing less. Some of you are sitting out there and you've just about given up hope. You've prayed, you've sought, you've fasted, you've done everything that you know to do, and there seems to be absolutely no evidence whatsoever of things changing. I got a word of the Lord for you today. They can and they will change in the name of Jesus. Mountains will be brought down. I want to tell you, troubles 
will be disappear. I'm telling you by the faith in Jesus Christ that things are going to change in your home and your family. Our belief system, which is called faith, has to be engaged before God can do anything on our behalf. How many knows that God does nothing outside of the realm of our faith? And matter of fact, faith is the very powerful tool. But the problem I believe is, is in the definition of what the church calls faith. It always has to be a big explosion of power or an open demonstration of supernatural miracles or a manifestation of outward display of high intense emotion or we don't classify it as working faith. But remember, faith believes when there is no evidence. Faith works even when nothing seems to be happening. Our problem is that we can't recognize God when he's moving because we're always looking in the wrong places and in the wrong idea. We're like Elijah. If he's not in the whirlwind, if he's not in the uh, uh, the earthquake, if he's not in the fire, then we don't think he's moving. But sometimes God moves in that still small voice. Sometimes God works in very mysterious ways. He moves in very, he's very gentle sometimes. And sometimes it's not in the big explosions, it's in the whispers. And if Jesus just whispers, things come to life. He just speaks and things happen. I don't know about you, but somehow I hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit in my ear and he's about to change things on our behalf. I believe that we're gonna go into one of the greatest years of our life. I didn't say there wouldn't be hardship. I wouldn't say, I'm not saying that the nation may change around. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the people of God. We're on the heels of some of the greatest things that we've ever seen within our lives. And it's time that we believe and we embrace that by faith. Can I have an amen? Can I have an amen here? Are you alive with me here today? Remember faith, it believes when there's no evidence. As I thought about the gospel concerning salvation, it was brought back to my remembrance by the Holy Spirit uh, uh, how simple salvation is. It is simple as ABC, admit, believe, and confess. We know that. Matter of fact, the Bible just simply says in Romans 10, 13, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord can be saved. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead, we should be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confessions made into salvation. Look at the wonderful plan of God, the simplicity of the plan of God in our golden text in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not a son of the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Now think about this. This is what the Holy Spirit put into my heart for today. The greatest and the most powerful in the word of God that could ever be brought to pass and revealed to us was revealed to us through simplicity, which was salvation. Salvation is the greatest gift, the greatest miracle that could have ever been given and it was brought in, with a, in such simplicity. The things of the Spirit do not always have to be hard or difficult and weird for them to be effective and neither do they have to be a big bang, a big boom, a big explosion or a big event. So much of the time we're waiting for something to fall out of the sky when it's right there in our grass right now. Sometimes we're looking for God in areas uh, in great these great events and great moves and God's standing here right now. I was praying the other night and I was praying, oh God, I said, Lord, send us and I started to say revival and he stopped me. He said, don't pray that. He said, I just prayed for an awareness of my presence. I said, what do you mean, Lord? I'm ready to revive. I'm here right now. People's just got to get aware that I am ready and I'm here standing right by them, right here even as you, as you pray. I want you to know it's not God waiting for revival. It's, uh, it's us got to believe that God's ready to give us revival. If you believe that, lift your hands and praise the Lord with me today. <clears throat> 
As I read this scripture, the Lord spoke to me of our text. He told me that this is the victory that is going to change our world. It's going to rock the palace of praise. Are you ready for the palace of praise to be rocked? I'm going to tell you how to do it. And if you'll obey the Lord, we'll have a great move of God. Big and glorious experiences do not always have to come out of great travail and pain like we think. I think that we, the body of Christ, tries to make things too hard and too difficult sometimes. As a matter of fact, the Lord's pressed upon me that, and I'm out on a mission to make the church and the ministry more simple. I did not say more easy, nor did I say more convenient. I don't think God likes us to, for, I don't like God, I don't think God likes us to seek convenience, but it can be more simple. One of the things that we have to realize is the importance and the effectiveness of our testimony. Our testimony is one of the most powerful tools that we have to change our world that we live in. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 18 and 21 that the power of life and death is in the power of the tongue. Most of the time, people think, oh, that's about cursing or blessing with your tongue. Yes, it can be that, but it is also true that I have power in my tongue to speak life over you. I have power to give you my testimony, and my testimony can give you life. Can I have an amen? You want life to be brought to something that's dead? Then begin to speak your testimony to it. Begin to declare what God has done for you over that situation to where it can spark hope in the life of somebody else. I want you to know in today's world that we live in, the biggest majority of the conversation of people is on non-spiritual things. The Bible is very clear about what kind of mind that you and I are to have. Paul tells us in the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 5 through 8, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh and they that are after the spirit do mind the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded, minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is an enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So they that are after the flesh, they cannot please God. Now there is no breeding ground for the supernatural in carnal conversations. Can I have an amen? There's no room for us to be sitting around talking about things that's not convenient. We are people of the spirit and we are not people of the flesh. Can I have an amen? We don't need to be wasting our time on words that does not change. Come on, somebody. Amen. The flesh profiteth nothing, so if we sow to the flesh, we shall reap of the flesh corruption. But if we sow to the spirit, we shall reap of the spirit life everlasting. Spiritual results demand spiritual conversation. Let me ask you a question. What is your conversations about? What do you talk about the most? What kind of jokes do you tell? What kind of stories do you sit around and hash out? What, who is it that we talk about and when we talk about? Come on, we got to understand that there's no room for fleshly conversation. Paul reveals to us that the mind of man is to be on the things of the spirit, not the things of the flesh, if we want spiritual results. How many want spiritual results? Then you got to have a spiritual mind, and your spiritual mind will cause you to have spiritual talk. So we have to understand that one of the most sound biblical truths revealed from the teachings of the Word of God is that the speech or the talk of man is the revelation of what's in the heart of, and the mind of that man. Man only speaks what's in his mind to speak. 
speak. The mouth reveals what's in the heart. Matter of fact, Proverbs 23 and 7 says, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. This is why that Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 34, O generation of vipers, how can you be an evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 5, you can know a man by the multitude of his words. And not only that, in one place he called the man that speaks a lot of words is a fool. In other words, he's saying a man will reveal himself through his talk because talk is the window of the soul, which is the inner self. Whatever comes out of your mouth in long, long periods of time is actually who and what you are. You give a man enough room to talk and he'll reveal what's on his inside, whether it's good or whether it's bad. If you want to know if a man's spiritual or not, listen to his talk, listen to his speech, listen to his words over a long period of time because he'll reveal himself. Our text states that we are overcomers in two different ways. First of all, we're overcomers by the blood of the lamb. We all know that. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9 and 22, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. It's that simple. We gotta have the blood of Christ applied to our lives, amen? First Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold that you received through the vain traditions of your fathers, but you're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Christ is a lamb without spot or blemish. Now, without going into great detail and preaching on the blood of Jesus, uh, I want you to know, we know that there's no victory outside of the blood of Christ. Life is in the blood. The blood of Christ is one of the most important and essential things that there is to a believer's life. And even though the blood of Jesus is so important, yet my main message this morning is on the second reason of our victory. We are not, over, not only overcomers by the blood of the lamb, but you are an overcomer by the words of your own testimony. Can I have an amen? There is no victory outside of your testimony. Testimonies of the Christian are so important. Listen to me. You can't even be saved without one. The Bible tells us again, Romans 10, 9 through 11, this time, that if they'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in our heart, God's reason for dead, we shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth, say mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And then it says in verse 11, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. Now, most of the time we quote the scripture, verse 9 and verse 10, but we leave verse 11 out. I don't know why, because verse 11 is included because if a person is saved, they will not be ashamed to confess it or testify of it. You're not only to confess your sin, you're not only to confess that you are a sinner in need of Jesus, but you're to confess Jesus Christ openly to the world, and you're not to be ashamed. Can I have an amen? That is the power of your testimony. And without the power of that testimony, you can't even be saved. And matter of fact, look at verse 11 again, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. Years ago, when someone got saved, uh, they, and they gave their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, the early church, or the church I was brought up in, would always have them to stand and to testify of their conversion. They'd say, hey brother, stand up and tell us what the Lord done to you today. And the reason was because they understood that that individual was going to be an overcomer by the words of his own testimony. There's something about releasing that into the air. I am saved. Even if you don't even really realize what happened, all I know is the Lord touched me and I got saved. Can I have an amen? There's power in that that's released in the heavenlies. Can I have an amen? <clears throat> the the reason that a lot of people are not really living out a full 
assurance of their faith is because they haven't confessed it. But so, for some reason, we've allowed the culture to convince us to, ha to have people to stand and to testify would bring an embarrassment to them. Yet conversion is an exciting thing, and people should want to testify of what happened to them. Listen to verse 11 again. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him should not be ashamed. Somebody say, I'm saved. Amen. As a matter of fact, Jesus even said in Mark 8, 38, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, he said of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Testimonies are very important. When you don't have anything to talk about, share your testimonies. Come on, somebody. When you don't have a sermon, when you don't have a lesson, when you don't have a message, when you don't have an outline, so many people don't witness, so many people don't talk about the Lord because they say, well, I, I, I'm intimidated. I, I don't know of a, enough of the Bible. I don't know enough of the stories. Well, you need to study. You need to mature in that area. But if you don't have anything to say, tell them your testimony. Tell them about what the Lord has done for you. How many of you have been healed by the power of God? Then tell somebody about it. Witness about that experience. Talk about it in detail. You know, one of the things that I have found out when I sit around some of the old gang and on oh, 9th and Cedar and we get to talking, they'll begin to tell testimonies and after a while, I haven't talked about them in a while and I haven't spoken them in a while and you'll forget them. You'll forget what the Lord done with you if you don't keep it afresh. Keep your testimonies afresh and anew. How many of you ever had a prayer answered? Raise your hand. Then you need to testify about that to people. You need to tell them how God answered your prayer. How many of you have ever been filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues? Then you need to tell people about that experience. Talk about that experience. Like the little woman at the well after her conversion. She ran to the city and she told the people, come and see a man that told me all that I ever did. I love that passage of scripture. The Bible says that she gave her testimony and many were saved for the glory of God. You remember Jesus at the sixth hour sat down at the well of Sychar, Jacob's well, and he was weary for his travel. His disciples had went into the city to buy meat. He's sitting here, come a little woman of Samaria to draw from the well. And Jesus said, give me to drink. And she said, what do you mean give me to drink? I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. We don't have any dealings with each other and you ask me a drink. He said, if you knew who it was to ask you a drink, you would ask me. I would have given you living water. And all of a sudden, you know what she says? Where, from which are you going to draw this living water? You don't have anything to draw with. And all of a sudden, he begins to expound to her. Your father's saying this mountain you should worship, and we say in Jerusalem you shall worship. And he goes through all of that with her. And he says, but I want you to know, those that worship God must worship him in spirit and truth, for God seeketh such to worship. He opens up, he begins to minister to her. And before it's over, he says, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. The truth you have said, you've had five in your past and you're living with a man right now that is not your husband and all of a sudden she said I perceive you're a prophet well who wouldn't at that expense and then all of a sudden he began to expound to her some more and he, she said well I believe the Messiah is supposed to come and she began to say he says I am he and she believed upon him and the Bible says that she ran into the city and she began to tell people come and see this man that told me everything that I've ever done and in John 4 and 39 listen to what it says and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified he told me all that I ever did. There was a great company of people come to the faith over one woman's testimony about what Jesus done in her life. Can you give the Lord praise? There's power in your tongue. 
I said there's power in your tongue. It's the power of your testimony. Hallelujah. There's power in our tongue. There's a power in our testimony. The greatest story, the greatest message, the greatest witness that you have is what God's done in your own personal life. What God's doing in your life. What God's doing in your family. If you don't have a testimony, then you're not saved. Because if you're saved, everybody has a testimony. Can I have an amen? Is anybody going to get in this sermon with me here this morning? Hallelujah. The early church used to recognize the importance of testimonies. Years ago, at least four or five times a year, our local church, there would be a whole church service devoted to nothing but testimonies. Our pastor would get up and say, now remember this coming Sunday night's testimony night. Everybody come with a testimony. There wouldn't be any preaching. There wouldn't be any teaching. Come on. There'd be very little bit of singing because they wanted to give time for people to give their testimony. And yet, them services would render great spiritual results. And there was some of the most lively, anointed, inspiring services that you would have. Many, many times, the Holy Ghost would break out in those testimonies. An old saint would get up and begin to testify what God had done. And all of a sudden, people begin to believe what the woman said or the man said. The Spirit of God would begin to move. And people begin to weep. And people begin to cry. And even though there wasn't no preaching from the pulpit from a preacher, even though there wasn't a great orchestrated outline or art, articulate message by some kind of a teacher. There was an old saint that come out of trouble that stood up and maybe didn't have adequate speech and maybe wasn't articulate in the way that they put it, but they would get up and out of their experience and out of their overflow, they'd say, this is what the Lord has done, and they'd begin to testify about the goodness of God, and God would honor it, and God would move. I beat that, stand to your feet and give him praise. God's wanting to break out of here today. Come on, give him. Hallelujah. As I stand here and preach there this morning, all kinds of stories start running through my head. All kinds of memories begin to come up. And when that happens, I want to tell you, it sparks something inside of me because I'm remembering how good the Lord is good, has been in my life. During those testimony service, everyone in, the, everyone in the church had the opportunity to stand up and tell that whole congregation of what the Lord had done for them. Four or five times a year, my pastor would do that. It was during those services that people received hope inspiration and built expectation in the hearts and the lives of those people. Come on. People were edified. They were built up in the faith by the testimony of their fellow brothers and sisters in whom they knew and believed in. They could believe in the stories because they believed in the person telling it or the person presenting it. Come on. The greatest message you have is not your six-page outline. Don't try to impress people with, hey, I wrote a book. Would you like to read my book? Don't it's not about your well-studied outline sermon. I want to tell you the most important thing you have is a testimony where God has done something phenomenal in your life. Can I have an amen? As old Doug Small says, and I say this all the time, he's one of my favorite guys, but I love it when he talks about testimonies. He always says, if you don't have a thing to say, just tell them your story. 
Tell them your story. That's what the blind man done in John chapter 9, didn't he not? The blind man sitting there begging. The disciples look over and see him and said, hey, why was he born blind? Was it because of his parents' sin or was it because of his sin? And Jesus said, oh, he wasn't born blind because of his mom, his dad, or himself or none of their sin. He was born blind that the works of God should be manifested and that the glory of God could be seen. <laughs> Woo, I'm about to get happy because I know where I'm going with this thing. And all of a sudden, the disciples looked at him like, really? And Jesus just went over to him and spit in the ground, made some clay and spat it in his eyes. Said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. He goes and he washes in the pool of the soul. He's on his way back and people say, wasn't that the blind man? Wasn't that that beggar? Wasn't that man? Isn't that the man that was born blind from his birth? Look at him. He's seeing. And all of a sudden they begin to inquire of him. He said, yes, it is me. And others said, no, he just looks like him. That ain't him. So you know what they done? They took him before the Pharisees and the Pharisees examined him. They begin to say, who are you? And he told them, he said, well, what's happened to you? And he said, all I know is Jesus combined this man of Nazareth, spit in the ground, put mud in my eyes, told me to go wash and the pool of Sloan, and I did, and I can see. And they said, that's impossible because he's a sinner. Then others said, well, how can he be a sinner and do those kinds of things? So the Pharisee says, well, we got an, uh, an imposter on our hands because Jesus did not do that to this man. It's impossible. So you know what they done? They went and looked up the boy's parents. They found the boy's parents and said, is this your boy? Yep, he's my boy. Was he born blind? Yep, he was born blind. You swore this is him? Yep, and he was born blind? Yep. And said, well, how is he seeing now? Well, I don't know. You'll have to ask him. He told us how. They asked him again. He says, well, as I know, is this man by the name of Jesus come by, spit in the ground, made some clay, threw it in my eyes, told me to go wash. And they said, that's impossible. He's nothing but a sinner. And you know what that man said? He said, whether he be a sinner, I know not. But there's one thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. He gave a testimony of the overflow and the goodness of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And even though I commend the early churches of having testimony services, doing to the size of our congregation as large as it is, it's almost impossible for us to do that on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night. Sometimes we could probably do it on a Sunday night. But our testimonies at the palace has shifted a little bit. Now we do it in small group settings like life groups and Sunday school and different Wednesday night services and staff meetings and things of that nature. But it re really, in reality, listen to me, your testimony is designed for the sinner. It is the message for the world. The world needs to hear your testimony. You need to take your testimony outside of the four walls of the church. Come on. People need to hear hope. This estranged, chaotic, delusional world has to have their equilibrium back in balance. And the only way they can do it is hear a ray of hope that comes from somebody they know. Can I have an amen? The most productive thing that can happen is the power of the seed. Say seed. Seed of your testimony being sown in the heart of an unregenerated man or woman. Now the seed has to be planted. Now when you give your testimony and you walk away, don't feel like a failure if something immediately does not happen. You know what you've done? You planted a seed. 
and the power of a seed. Woo! God's word won't go out void. He'll send it to do what he, he sent it to do. And there are people that are waiting for seeds to be planted in their hearts. Seeds of hope, seeds of light, seeds of inspiration. They're, they're looking, how can I get out of this? People can say whatever they want. People don't want to be caught up in lesbianism and homosexuality and gender uh, change. Come on, they don't want to do that. They're crying out. They're wanting attention. They're screaming. The church has got a testimony. Share it with them. Nothing is more powerful, more effective, more fruitful than you sharing your testimony. Nothing's more convincing. Testimonies can move mountains. Did you know that? They can move hurdles. It can move obstacles because they inspire hope. They inspire inspiration. And they develop expectation. Oh, hallelujah. All of a sudden, you know, you, a person has no hope and they have this guy or this girl sit down beside them and begin to tell them all about what God's done and hope springs up and before long, expectation begins to move in that person's life. And they say, if they can do it for him, he can do it for me. Testimonies are faith builders. You know, it's good to hear what happened in David's life, what happened in Moses' life. It's good to hear the stories of the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, Daniel in the lion's den. Them were powerful stories. But they're not near as powerful as somebody in the 21st century that's living right where you live come and say what God done today and not what he done 2,000, 2,000 years ago. I'm here to tell you there's something about your testimony that's even greater than the testimonies of the story of the Bible because you are tangible, something they can see, something they can believe in, something they can look at, something they can say, I know that person, I know who he is, and they never lied to me. And look what God, he says, God done this for him. Come on, somebody. Oh, yes. The reason that we're not winning our world is because we're despising the day of small things. We don't think we got anything to offer. Most Christians sit around with their head down feeling inadequate, condemned. I don't know enough. I can't open my mouth. I don't want to engage in conversation spiritually because I might be brought to embarrassment because they may ask me a question that I don't know. You know what I've learned to do when people ask me a question, even as a pastor, I don't know? I don't know. We'll look into it. It's that simple. Come on. We think a lot of times we don't have anything to say, and then there's some people that are pious that have way too much to say. Yeah. Amen? They're the ones that's the know-it-alls. They got everything religiously down pat. And if we're not careful, information overload can run people away. You know, a lot of times people will try to witness and we want to give them the whole Bible. And, we'll, and you know what they feel like? That makes them feel inadequate, uneducated, makes them feel, ooh, amen? They don't need all the do's and the don'ts and the religious chatter. All they need to hear about is what God's done for you. Amen? While we're always trying to get people to come to church, we're trying to get them to Sunday morning services, to revival services, to the play, to the special events, and well, we should, but your loved ones, your neighbors, your coworkers, your best friend may be only a testimony away from being saved. Just your testimony. We all have something to say, to share, to speak, to tell. It's called our testimony. My pastor was so effective in his preaching because he was always bringing his personal testimonies into his sermons. And he'd also bring the testimony of the people he knew into his sermons. He'd talk about his grandma. He'd talk about his grandpa. He'd talk about his neighbor. He'd talk about someone in town, about their testimonies in his sermons. He's very powerful in bringing those in. He'd preach a sermon and he'd interject those testimonies all the time. 
I loved it when, when I'd bring people to the church, to, to the revivals or to the church services. I'd think, oh, I hope Brother White shares that story. Because I'd go as a young man and I'd hear him share them stories. I'd hear the word of God and it was wonderful. But there was something that was more powerful about his own testimonies even over what he preached in the word. Come on, somebody. I loved it when he'd talk about his conversion experience. He was an old riverboat captain, backslidden church of God boy. His dad and mom got saved when he was, I don't know how old, but he ended up backsliding and getting on the riverboat and there's a rough, rough people. He lived a rough life. They went into port one day and he decided as a captain to go into town, which he didn't do very often. They tied the old barge up and the ship up and they went in and he come back and he got on the boat and got to piling into the ship and he's going down the Mississippi River steering that big boat. And all of a sudden, one of the rough guys come in, one of his old buddies, and you know, the drinker and the connivers and the womanizers and all of that stuff lived a rough, 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 rough life. He walked into there in that pilot where he's piloting that ship, and he looked at him, he said, oh! He pulled out a big knife about that long, and he said, them knives were, you just touch your skin and they would bleed because he had to keep them that sharp to keep, to cut those big barge ropes. You had to cut them, and they had to be just razor sharp. He pulled that knife out, and he pointed it at him, and he said, you went and got religious. I see it on your face. He said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to slit your throat. I'm going to kill you and throw you overboard. They're going to find your body floating in the Mississippi River someday. And they're gonna, we're going to tell them that somebody come and robbed you and killed you and throwed you overboard. Brother White, he went to town that day and went to an old, heard an old uh, uh, tent meeting going on. And he walked by and fell under conviction, walked in, gave his life to the Lord. Didn't tell anybody, but the man seen it on him. And old Brother White just pulled his collar down like that, lifted his head up and said, just cut her. Cut her off. And that man come to cut his head off. And when he lunged at him, the Spirit of the Lord hit that man and picked him up, slammed him all against the wall. And his hands went back and he sat there and shook against the wall. His hands opened. His knife fell to the ground. He fell to the ground. And when he looked at Brother White, he jumped up scared and ran out of the ship. I'm here to tell you there's power in the power of your testimony. I love it when he talks about casting out demons. It happened several times in his life. And one time it happened with me along with him. He got a call right there in our hometown. There's a man who's one of my one of my friends. I was a young teenager. He's 40 years older than I was. Worked at a junkyard. They called him Mopey. His name was Henry Powell. Weighed about 450, 500 pounds. No education whatsoever. Couldn't read, couldn't write. He worked in that old junkyard and he had worked so long in there that he just he was just greasy all the time, just black. His old hair was unkept and uncombed and he'd try to clean up and there'd be grease that thick under his fingernails. And under his, around his eyelids, they'd just turn dark where he'd work with that old cutting torch, cutting and working in that old junkyard. And old Henry became my fishing buddy and I went all over the country with that man. He called Brother White and said, you got to get to my house. Brother White says, what's going on? He said, I can't explain it. you got to get down here. Something's going on. Tell me what's going on. He began to explain. Brother White said, I'll be right there. Somehow I got in there. I don't remember if he called me, if he come by. I just ended up in the car. And we went down there and we knocked on the trailer and we heard a scream. Come in. We walked in right back here, Brother White. And I hear a man crying. We're walking down that hallway of that little old trailer. Brother White says, young man, you're going to learn an experience tonight. 
And I said, what, what do you think's going on? He said, we're dealing, we're fixing to cast out a demon. Oh, Lord. I started doing this number. And he said, I hear it and I sense it in my spirit. And we walked through that door and here's this 500-pound man on his wife who's a heavier lady. And he's on top of her trying to hold her down. And she's picking him up and growling like a dog, hissing like a snake. Ah, and her eyes rolling around the back of her mouth. Foam coming out the side of her mouth and she's plumb crazy. Brother White looked at old Henry and said, Henry, get off of her. Are you crazy? He said, I said, Henry, get off of her. But brother, Henry, I said, I don't know how many times he had to say that. Henry was so reluctant. He got up off of her. And when he did, that little woman rolled her eyes around and like this. And voices began to come out of her mouth. And all of a sudden, they looked at Brother White. Said, I know you. I'm going to kill you. He said, you're not going to do no such thing. You're going to come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. He laid his hands upon her and boom. All of a sudden, she started throwing up, and all of a sudden, foam began to come out of her mouth, and boom, she just straightened up, and it was right there that he led her to a personal salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And old Joan and Henry served the Lord from that day forward. I love those stories because I seen them. They were not written 2,000 years ago. They've been written in my lifetime, in my overflow, in my experience. I love to hear him talk about all the healings. He had healings everywhere he went. He was a powerful man of God. I remember one time a lady visited the church. I wasn't there because before my time, I think it was even a different church where he was pastoring. And they'd been invited by some of the people in the church who knew their situation. Brother White didn't know their situation. They came in. She's on crutches. Very obvious that she had a foot problem, a leg problem. And uh, they were sitting, her and her husband were sitting down there. And Brother White, before he got up and preached, he said, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. Before I preach, we got to do something. He said, all you ladies over here, go get a pan of water. They went and got a pan of water and they brought it out and they said, now set it down and wash that woman's foot right there. And they just stood there. They said, did you hear me? The Spirit of the Lord told me for you women to wash that woman's foot. They just stood there. Nothing happened. And all of a sudden, all the eyes turned towards the husband. And the husband's sitting there and you could see it all over his face. He didn't know what to do. And finally, he stood up and said, if the Spirit of God has spoken to that pastor to wash my wife's foot, wash her foot. They started unraveling the stuff. There was an old infected foot, just horrible. They put it down in that water. They got to praying, and God miraculously healed her immediately right then. And they shouted, and they danced. After the service, Brother White says, why were y'all so reluctant? Well, you don't understand. We knew the story. She had went to the doctor, and the doctor said, now listen, I'm going to try to save your foot. But there's one thing you got to do. Whatever you do, don't want, let one drop of dew, don't let one drop of water touch that foot. Do not get in a bathtub. Do not get in a shower. Don't, do not get any moisture in that foot. Everybody knew it but him. And the very thing the doctor said not to do is what the Spirit of the Lord challenged the women to do. And when he done it, the Lord healed the foot. The power of your testimony. You want to hear another one? I'll tell you one more and then we'll move on. 
a boy had tried to commit suicide with a shotgun. Anybody know what a shotgun will do to a person? He blew his complete stomach completely out of his body. They didn't even know how he was living. He was in the hospital. Brother White happened to be in the hospital at the time. He gets up, him and his wife, and they're going for a stroll down the hallway, and they see a little woman sitting in a little chair there outside of a door, and she's weeping and she's crying. He sits down and says, ma'am, what's wrong with you? Her husband sitting there and a few of her children said, well, my son told the story. And Brother White says, you mind if I go in and pray for him? Well, no, but it won't do no good. You know, they've only given him maybe tonight to live. There's not, they've done everything they know to do. Everything's blown apart. And, you know, they're just, oh, everybody's distraught. Brother White goes in and prays for him. Nothing unusual happens. He comes out and he comes up to the family. He says, hey, you, you can get you some sleep now. That boy's going to be all right. And they looked at him and the man gets furiously mad. The husband says, why would you give my wife such false hope? And the children were weeping and she was weeping and, 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 and it was just like they couldn't receive it. And he said, I'm here to tell you, your boy's going to be all right. You, sir, you don't have to believe. I have believed for you and turned around and walked off. The next morning, the boy woke up. The boy says, I'm hungry. By evening, they had him sitting in a chair. And before it was over, long haul through the hospital, the boy lived. I'm here to tell you that God is a God of miracles. And it's good to hear about Peter laying hands on people. It's good about hearing about Peter's shadow. It's good about hearing the apostle Paul doing the miracles he done. But I want to tell you that there, you're a miracle. You're just a little bit of a miracle apart. And what's going to determine the difference is the word of your testimony. Can I have an amen? Somebody give the Lord praise for the goodness of God. Now, I told you my pastor's testimony. I can give you all kinds of testimonies in my lifetime of what God's done for me and Jenny, what God's done for me and my boys. Oh, I can go on and on and on. Hey, no, don't get me started, baby, because they're my testimony. Hallelujah. They're in my wellhouse. Can I have an Amen. Our world needs to hear our testimonies. The church needs to hear our testimonies. Our families need to hear our testimonies. If we ever see revival in our land, if we ever reach the lost generation, if we ever have an awakening, I am convinced it will not happen without us sharing our testimony. We got too much skepticism. We got too much people don't want to hear the Bible, you Bible thumpers, you right-wing conspiracy. But I want to tell you what they cannot fight is what God's done for you. Amen. I believe it will be our testimonies that's going to bring one of the greatest shakings around. I believe it will be our testimonies that will bring hope to this world. I hope I've inspired you today. I believe, you know, when we have all the services, we have altar services all the time. It's good that we have all these experiences, but what good are they if we don't share them? A lot of times our experiences draw, dry up at an altar because we never go share them. We never go testify about them. Come on. You want God to do something for you, then start telling people of what he's already done for you. Start sharing the good, the good things of faith that God's done in your life. How many ever went through some real, real hard, difficult times? Raise your hand. Now, are you sitting here because you come out of them? Then tell somebody about that experience. Just share it. Amen? Oh, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? I had a different message for this morning. And I don't know why. To be honest with you as a pastor, the message that I had, I felt like it was for the whole church. I didn't know if we was going to get to have church this morning, and if we did, how many people would be here. So I said, Lord, let me save that message for the church. 
And let me, let, me, let me have something special for the congregation that comes out today. And bam, he just immediately put that in my spirit. And God says, you tell my people I want them to be testified. And you know what that tells me? You're the very people that God wants to use because he's got you here today. He wants you to start telling your testimony. And if you don't have any immediate results, you tell somebody, it's all right. You planted a seed of faith. Just every once in a while, go buy water and tell them another testimony. Just go by every once in a while and tell them another testimony. Oh, hallelujah. But our problem is we sit around and gripe about the church. We sit around and tear down the church. We criticize the church. One or two people will do something bad in the church, and you know what? They'll take it to the whole church. Hello? We need to be telling the testimonies of the church. We got a great testimony at the Palace of Praise. Huh. I could go right now to my daughter-in-law Sophie or my daughter-in-law Ashley or my daughter-in-law Brittany and whom I love with all my heart. I'd die for any one of those girls. And no longer than they've been in the church, I'm a lot, a lot older than they are. They're young and they're beautiful and they're vibrant, but they're not too young to not have a testimony. Every single one of them girls can tell you how the goodness of God is operating in their homes. My goodness, little Sophie, will every once in a while I get on that phone and we'll get talked about something. I can't get a word in edgewise. Boy, she's telling all about, I was reading the Bible and this stuff. And I, was, I was watching it. And boy, little Brittany does the same thing. Little Ashley does the same thing. I got some of the most wonderful, beautiful uh, daughter-in-laws in all the world. I and mean, I don't even call them daughter-in-laws. They're my daughters. And they're people of faith. My... My little grandson, Jedediah, can tell you some of the most powerful testimonies that you've ever, they'll just make your hair stand up on your head. He's going to be a preacher, you know that? He's going to be a fisherman preacher is what he's going to be. Hallelujah. God's going to trade him from fishing for fish for fishing for men. He don't know that yet. Oh, my boy John, my boy Sam, my boy Ben, Ben, John, Sam, I don't want to leave none of them out. They got testimonies like you can't believe what they've seen in the Miller family. For obstacles have come against us and we as a family. I want you to be praying about this, John. I want you to be praying about this. But Dad, we'll take it to prayer. And it ain't very long. Things begin to change. For God intervene on our behalf. <laughs> My little daughter-in-law, Brittany, come down with MS. MS is a serious thing. We just bound together as a family. I don't know how many years ago that's been. I just asked her the other day, you had any problem? No, nope. not a problem one. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Woo, that's my overflow. How, come on, somebody. The greatest testimony I have is the conversion I had with Jesus. And then the power of testimonies from that day forward begin to be manifested. I've got thousands of them that I could share in this church. And you'd sit and get bored. With, no, you wouldn't get bored because they're testimonies. They're what God done for me. And the same God that wants to do something for me, you'll do it for you. Can I have an amen? Oh, I want to challenge you. I'm not going to have an altar call. If you feel like you need to come to the altar, if you just want to worship, man, we're, we're here. 
But I want you to do me a favor. And listen to me, folks. God did not have me to preach this so we can hear a good sermon and go home. He wants to loose your tongue. Life and death is in the tongue. And he wants you to give life to somebody by just sharing your testimony. I'm not perfect, but you can say, look where I've been, but look where I'm at. Not where I want to be, but I'm not where I was. Look, look at the growth of my life. I got this problem. I got this hang up. But that's all right. The same God that delivered me from this, 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 and this is soon to deliver me from that as well. Come on. Share your testimony. Well, I've only been saved a month. Tell somebody about your salvation. Tell somebody about your experience. Oh, you got to get it in your spirit. Folks, God wants you to take this on your job. He wants to take it to your neighbors. He wants to take it to your friends. Wherever you go and play cards or wherever you go and play board games, wherever you go and hang out, wherever you go and fellowship, you know what you got to do? Man, I tell my testimonies to waitresses. They come and serve me. A lot of times I feel the impression to try to win them to the Lord. You know how I do it? Through my testimony. Boy, I want to tell you what the Lord done for me. And before long, the conversation struck. They'll begin to cry. I've had them sit down and just sit there and boo-hoo and cry. I've led people to the Lord right at restaurant tables. Come on, somebody. It's the power of your testimony. Ha, share it in Jesus' name. Father, I've delivered the message. Now let the people take it and run with it. Let them run, God, earnestly. and Let them contend for the faith by sharing their testimony by just telling their story. They got a unique story. There's no story like their story. God, there's nothing like them just sharing their heart. Oh, God, it don't have to be articulate and all outlined and it don't have to be of eloquent speech. It's just gotta be out of their overflow. Them just telling how it happened in their life out of their own conversations, Lord. Let us have spiritual conversations around the coffee table, the, around the time of breakfast and the times of lunch and the times of supper and the times of breaks. And God, when we're together out doing sports, riding in a golf cart, riding in a car, whatever it is, let us share our testimonies. I pray and I ask that we might have revival, that God, things would just heat up as a result of our testimonies and if we'll share our testimonies I really believe that you have spoken and said I'll give you new ones if you'll tell about your old ones if you'll share what I've given you then I'll give you more to whom much is given much is required but if you don't share you're not going to have any new experiences I pray God now give us the courage to share our testimony in Jesus name amen God bless you this morning